Hey guys, on today's pod I had on Nikias Duncan of B-Ball Breakdown and the Miami Heat Beat Podcast. He came on to continue our season preview of the different Eastern Conference playoff teams. Nikias is not only one of the best guys covering the Miami Heat, but I really think one of the best guys covering the NBA right now. If you ever want a break from your Raptors rating, you should definitely check out his stuff at B-Ball Breakdown. Overall, I thought this pod went really well. I was really happy with the conversation we had just on the Heat as a team, as well as some of their different individual players that will really make a difference for them this season. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at NikaiasNBA, N-E-K-I-A-S-N-B-A, as well as make sure to check out all his stuff on B-Ball Breakdown. I guess I'll just start off by saying, what do you think are some reasonable expectations for the Heat this season? Um, I definitely think they're a playoff team. Um, I feel like um, the roster is a bit crowded, but for the regular season, I don't think that's going to matter too much. I think the depth of talent that they have will allow them to win anywhere between 43, 45 games or so. So I think they're pretty solidly a playoff team. Um. From there, it's just going to depend on who they match up with in the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure how the top of the East is going to shake out. I don't really anticipate home court advantage for Miami this year. But um, depending on how the seedings fall, maybe they can um, make a push for the second round. Right. I think if they could get maybe the five seed, I think is probably their best chance at – well, obviously it's their best chance, but I think that's kind of a realistic chance at getting a se- to the second round, don't you think? versus the Pacers as opposed to one of those big three in the Atlantic division? Yeah, I think so. Uh, they have, yeah, they, just the lack of star power is going to hurt them in the playoffs. But matching up with a more balanced team like in Indiana as opposed to someone like Boston that can throw so many things at you, I think that gives them a better chance to advance. Yeah, as you, you talk about star player. Who do you think is the best player on the team? Um, I think for now, it's still Goran Dragic. I think he's the engine of the offense, and he is, I think, the best scorer on the team. Even though Dwayne Wade kind of assumed some of that, um, some of that role when he came back in the second half of last year, it's kind of the closer type. But Goran Dragic is the guy that makes the engine go. Miami's driving kick offense stops, starts, and starts and ends with him penetrating lane. Yeah, he's really the only guy I think that when you look at them from an opponent's standpoint, that scares you as far as his ability to kind of break people down one-on-one off the dribble. Him and perhaps Deion Waiters as well, but obviously he's a little bit more of an unknown coming into this season as opposed to Goran Dragic. Yes, sir. I think if anyone's going to take that title away from Goran as the best player, I think it's Josh Richardson. Um, He's already the best defender on the team. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Um, He made... Quite a leap as a shot creator. He started knocking down pull-up jumpers off a of pick-and-roll more consistently. Became a much better finisher with his left hand. Um, three-point stroke kind of rebounded from last year, even though injuries kind of um, hurt his percentages last season. 
But um, he definitely showed flashes of some three-level scoring, and I think there's another leap within him. And if he takes that leap offensively, I think he can take over as Miami's best player. Right. He's certainly the most modern of your guys when you think of kind of who fits best in the new age NBA as far as defensive input on that side of the ball as well as the ability to kind of score both at the rim and from three. Absolutely. I think that was probably my favorite development from him last year was just the work that he did in pick and roll because in his rookie year, you could tell he didn't really have a feel for it. Um, He played a little bit of point guard at Tennessee, but it wasn't his natural position at all. And uh, Miami kind of experimented with giving him more on-ball touches in the 16-17 season. The results were ugly, but the process was a little bit encouraging. Then last year, you saw another leap there, and you can see a path to him becoming a viable shot creator. Yeah, I certainly think so. I think as he continues to grow, he's kind of filling out his game in a way that you see a lot of young players do. If I told you heading into the season, you guys are going to have all these wings do you think that's realistic, or do you think that perhaps a move is coming sometime before the season, or at least before the trade deadline? Um, I would hope that a move is coming before the trade line, trade deadline, if for no other reason than to dip below the tax. I think Miami is a couple of million dollars over the tax limit right now, and that's before bringing back you know as Haslam and Dwayne Wade, which is pretty much a lock, I think. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's another discussion. But um. I do think Tyler Johnson is probably going to get moved at some point, even if even if it's for a less talented guy with a lower salary, maybe an Yvonne Shumpert type guy. Um, but I, I don't envision them finishing the season with as many guards as they have right now. That's interesting. You said Dwayne Wade. See, I was under the impression that he was unlikely to return. So you think he is going to return then? I think he's going to push it for one more year. Is he in the situation where he's kind of making that call right now at least? Um, from what I'm reading, he, I mean, he kind of, there was a report that came out, I think yesterday from the Miami Herald that Dwayne Way said he wasn't going to be going to China and that if he does return for another season in NBA, he's going to be in Miami. And I don't think he's going to retire off of what he did last year. I think he's going to at least try to get a farewell tour for a year. Right. Yeah. I saw the China rumors and I was always skeptical of, I know $24 million is a lot of money and certainly I want to begrudge him for taking it. But to me, when you have kind of your kids in high school after you've already made so much money in their life, that seems like a big cultural shock to kind of ship up overseas and head out to China just for a kind of end of the career tour. Yeah, absolutely. I think if his son um, wasn't such a prominent high school prospect, and he wasn't so, you know, this wasn't such a pivotal time in his life. I think he would probably strongly consider it now because even if he does return to Miami, at best he's going to be getting the mid-level exception of what, a little over $5 million. Um, Dwayne Wade may not be a consistent positive contributor in the NBA right now, but, you know, China's still going to throw the money at him. Like, he can still ball. It's just how much does he help a winning team at this point with how he slipped defensively and the lack of spacing and things of that nature. But, um... If he's ruling out China himself, I could definitely see him take another year in Miami then calling it in. If he comes back to Miami, does he necessarily have to receive time, do you guys think? Or is it one of those situations where he's done so much for the franchise, you have to pencil him in for at least you know, his, tw- his token 20 minutes per game? Uh, I think it's definitely going to be the latter. Um, 
I would love to see more. If he does come back, I would love to see more of a maintenance program with him, kind of conserve him for the playoffs just because he is still a valuable shot creator. I think he was one of Miami's, statistically anyway, he was one of Miami's best clutch players still, even at his age. And he showed that in the playoff series against Philadelphia. He basically single-handedly won them the one game against Philly in the first round. So he can still take over games for short spurts. So I, I think it would be smart for him to kind of take a low minute or take it by a game-by-game basis if he's going to come back and kind of let Josh Richardson get more on-ball reps, let Justice Winslow get more on-ball reps, let Deion Waiters try to um, regain his second half of 2016-17 form. And then you kind of bring Dwayne Wade in towards the end of the year and in the playoffs is kind of a hired gun type. But I just don't that, – that's what I would do. I don't necessarily see that happening. I think he's going to be penciled in for anywhere between 18 and 22 minutes a night kind of as the – backup point guard and then as the closer at the end of games. So we'll just have to see how that goes. I mean, he takes his rest. He just does it in transition defense rather than. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he, he is still a shot creator, and he did, like you said, he had that one game that was unbelievable where he turned back the clock in Philly. But, yeah, I just from a night-in, night-out standpoint, that's pretty rough to see, you know, somebody to – used to obviously be so athletic, just struggle to get up and down the court at this time. His game is pretty much all craft at this point. His best asset is his passing, that creation out of pick and roll. I still think he's probably, if not Justice Winslow, even though the sample is kind of small right now, Dwayne is definitely the best passer Miami has. And if nothing else, that kind of helps Hassan Whiteside once they try to work him back into the fold. But uh, there, there's definitely a role for Dwayne. I'm just curious to see just how small or how big it's going to be. Yeah, he's still able to get people on those pump fakes, which amazes me that people still fall for it, despite him doing it for the past 15 years. <laughs> right. <clears throat> him and Kevin Love. But um, you talked about Justice Winslow. He's a guy, do you think this is kind of a make-or-break year as far as Obviously, he'll still get chances in the league after this, but this is kind of his last chance for stardom, I guess, with Miami, don't you think? Um, I'm not so sure. I think um, Miami definitely wants to – I think Miami wants to work out an extension for him. So I don't think his Miami career is ending anytime soon unless Pat Riley finds, like, a star, a disgruntled star somewhere, and he kind of uses Justice as a young piece in a deal. But barring that happening, I think my, Justice is going to be in Miami for the foreseeable future. Do you, think, do you think they get something worked out before the season, or do you think it's something where they kind of want to see how he plays this year and then they'll extend him, and kind of it makes sense for both sides to try for him to try to earn it this season? I believe Miami is going to make an offer. Um, maybe the Josh Richardson-type extension, the four-year, $42 million deal. Um, at least throw that out there. There will be more teams that have cap space next summer, so if Justice feels like he can build upon his playoff showing or just how he played in the second half of the year in general, if he feels like betting on himself, I think that would be smart. So I'm not necessarily expecting him to accept the deal this summer. I mean, yeah, this summer. But I do think Miami's going to at least throw the alpha out there to see if they can lock him in to kind of a similar contract as Josh Richardson and then go from there. Are you a, are you a Justice Winslow believer? I am. I feel like he has his warts. Um, the finishing is a problem. He has never been a great finisher outside of a few um, five or six game stretches. And I think that's probably the biggest hindrance in his game right now. He can get to his spots. He is a very talented passer. He's a versatile perimeter defender. 
Um, he shot, I think, 38% from three, low volume, but he, the form has been altered a little bit. He's getting more comfortable on spot-up looks. Um, I feel like the biggest issue for him, you know, there's the finishing, but just in general role optimization, um, I think that's the big thing. Miami has played played him a lot at the four last year, kind of in part because of the shooting, but also they want to keep some versatility on the floor defensively, and I think that hurt Justice a little bit because he's much better chasing, hounding perimeter guys and getting over screens instead of kind of playing as the drop guy and having to um, contest shots at the rim. That's not really his game. I would like to see him get more on-ball reps, especially kind of like as a backup point forward or so. But um, we'll just have to see because the roster is so cluttered. Right, yeah. You Miami's a situation where I feel like they have a lot of talent there, but it'd be a difficult situation to thrive in as a player because it's kind of a lot of – it's almost like the Island of Misfit Toys where they have just a bunch of guys who do a bunch of weird things. And it feels like it's a system that kind of works, but I'm not sure how it works. Yeah, I think that that kind of showed last year in the playoffs. They have a bunch of specialists, and then they have a few guys that can do a little bit of everything. Um, so James Johnson is a versatile defender that can play make a little bit, but he can't really shoot. Um, Wayne Ellington can shoot the, the leather off of a ball, but he can't defend at all. Um, Tyler Johnson is a feisty finisher and a good shooter, but he's undersized. And even though he competes defensively, once you match him up against a bigger wing, then he's kind of neutralized. So Miami has a bunch of guys that are in a vacuum talented, but it's just hard to mix and match lineups to where you have enough spacing on the floor, enough um, size on the floor, enough creation on the floor. So um, Miami definitely needs to find a way to... um, I mean, they really need to consolidate some of this talent. That's really what it's boiling down to. Yeah, as you talk about it, they have a lot of guys with kind of warts in their game and a lot of guys with funky games. When you talk about, like, Kelly Olenek, James Johnson, those kind of players who are kind of weird players but I think are useful, but at the same time, I'm not sure if they're even starter-level talent. you got a lot of guys that are perhaps the seventh or eighth guy on a really good team. I think that's fair. And I think we saw in the second half of 2016-17, like once you find a role for everyone and everyone kind of fills in, then, you know, the sum of the parts can kind of uplift them to a team that's kind of above their talent level. But you get into a situation of last year where there's a little bit of slippage and then you have the injury roles. Hassan was hurt a lot. Um, Goran Dragic was in and out of the lineup. Justice Winslow had a stretch where he missed games. Josh Richardson missed a handful of games. Deion Waiters was never there because of the ankle. And it was just kind of hard to build synergy. And they still won a lot of games just because of the depth. But once the playoffs started, you kind of see just how um, one-dimensional at times Miami could be. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, that came off, I guess, as me saying I don't like that. They actually have a lot of players. I like James Johnson. I think he's one of my favorite kind of quirky players in the NBA. It's just an odd fit. Um, when Hassan Whiteside, I guess, is a guy – that's kind of polarizing, I think, depending on who you talk to. How good do you think he is, and how much can he play in kind of the new NBA? I think from a pure talent perspective, um, I think he can reasonably rank anywhere between 6 and 10 as a center. Just based on talent, he is a fantastic finisher in pick and roll. He has touch now. He's He's become a somewhat reliable mid-range shooter now. 
Um, he was in the 61st percentile as a post score last year, if I remember correctly, per synergy. So um, you still don't want to run the offense through him just because of how bad of a passer he is or how unwilling of a passer he is. Yeah. But just in general, if you give Hassan the ball, you know, there's still a decent chance that he's going to score or draw a foul. Um, he's a fearsome rim protector. Like in a vacuum, there are a lot of things that make Hassan an intriguing center. But the simple stuff is the screen setting. It's the consistent effort. It's running the floor. Um, those things, they just aren't there from a game-to-game basis, and it makes it frustrating because you see certain games where he just completely takes over. There was a regular season matchup where he completely ate Joel Embiid's lunch on both ends of the floor the entire game, and it wasn't close. And you can see when he actually puts in that effort, when he sets hard screens, he frees up the guards. When he runs hard, he gets the ball in pick and roll, and he's dunking on people. He's a monster on the glass. He can erase shots at the rim. He can alter shots at the rim. We've seen him play games where he looks like, at worst, the third or fourth best in the league, but the effort just isn't consistently there. So in terms of the modern fit, um, he's not great in space, so that kind of limits what you can do against small ball lineups. But even that doesn't matter if he's not bringing it every night. When I watched the Heat last year, I, I mean, I'm not saying he's a better player. It just seemed like the team the team looked more fun to watch, at least, when Bam was on the floor. And he's someone that I think it's going to be interesting I, how you guys kind of balance trying to play Bam as much as possible. And he's someone that really can't fit in with Hassan, can he? Um, he cannot. There was a stretch, I think, in January when, when Spoh started um, tinkering with those two together. And the defensive rating was somewhere in the 80s, but the offensive rating was also in the 80s. <laughs> so, so that's just kind of the trade-off. Like, you would have to surround those two with elite shooters. And outside of Wayne Ellington, there really isn't an elite shooter on the roster. Wayne, I mean, Kelly Olenek is good. Josh Richardson is good. Goran Dragic is good. But that just isn't enough with the paint being that crowded. And I think Bam Adebayo is going to be a guy eventually, or at least in, <laughs> I would hope, is going to be a guy that's going to need some elbow touches. He's going to need to be able to, he's going to need to be allowed the freedom to handle the ball a little, a little bit. Because as, ma- as, as many grains of salt you can take summer league with, Bam legit has a functional dribble game. Like he can legitimately handle the ball. He has grab and go potential. He is a good passer. Um, I would love to see Miami run some stuff through the elbow with him. But that's going to be hard to do, A, because Hassan and Kelly Olenek are going to be soaking up so many men in the front court. And, B, if he's playing with Hassan, I mean, there just aren't going to be many touches for him, period, because you kind of have to keep Hassan involved or the effort wanes. Right. I think now him and Olenek, that feels like a pairing that you can do at least reasonably well. Am I right there? Oh, yes, they were pretty good last year together. Yeah, I, I think just... I ended the regular season as a um, slight negative in terms of net rating, but they were a positive for most of the year. Right, so it's, it's Bam. How do you, I guess, how do you alter between wanting to play a couple small ball lineups and trying to get Hassan as many minutes to keep him invested and in trying to play your young center? How do you think Spo is going to manage that throughout the season? Do you think it's games of rest for Hassan, or do you think it's perhaps Bam just has to wait his turn a little bit longer? Um, I kind of fear that it's going to be more of the latter, that Bam's just going to have to wait a little bit. Um, Bam had a pretty solid summer league showing, but it wasn't one of those where 
it was like, okay, we have to get this guy 25 minutes no matter who he's playing with because he has seemingly made the leap. Um, from all intents and purposes, he has improved. Um, just looking at some of the um, Miami Pro-Am games he's played in, the jumper looks smoother. He's still handling the rock. He's an incredibly explosive athlete around the rim. Um, he's he's going to be better, but it's just I don't know how many more minutes he's going to earn unless Miami makes a move. Yeah, in summer league, he wasn't one of those like John Collins where he just stands out on the floor and you're like, this guy's too good to be here. But he certainly looked impressive and at least more skilled than he did during his first season with Miami. Absolutely. And that also kind of boils down to him having more freedom. I think when you just tell Bam, all right, set the screen, clean up the glass. I mean, he did his, he executed his job. And you kind of see the value in what he brings in those areas, especially as a screener. But then you look at summer league, like, oh, well, he can draw a foul whenever he wants to because big men can't guard him off the dribble. And you, it's just hard to see him getting that many opportunities. He should get them, especially in the regular season, just to kind of see how good he can be and kind of speed up his development a little bit. But I just don't see how many reps he's going to get. Yeah, it's kind of one of those situations where Toronto had Pascal Siakam in his rookie year. He was just strictly an athlete who kind of ran the floor, did the little things. And then in the second year, they kind of gave him the ability to bounce guys off the dribbles. And you see when players kind of stretch their skill set like that, you're really surprised certain players, obviously some look like a fish out of water, but certain players have more skill than you ever thought. And they just were never given the opportunity to showcase it. Absolutely. And we saw a little bit with that with Justice Winslow in his rookie year. He was mostly a cutter, a screener, and a great defender as a rookie. And in the second year when Dwayne was gone, he got a bunch of on-ball usage. And he wasn't efficient, but that's when you kind of realize, oh, my goodness, this guy is a really good passer. And he ranked in the 88th percentile as a passer in pick and roll that year, even though his season ended up getting cut short because of the shoulder. But then you just kind of see, oh, well, I didn't know he had that kind of court vision. And then you kind of see, I mean, there's a path to him becoming one of those point forward types if he gets those reps. So I would like to see Bam get the opportunity to stretch his game as well. Yeah, it kind of comes in flashes, and then you hope that it stay, it becomes sustained later on in their career. Absolutely. For the Heat, I think Spo is, at least from what I can tell, one of the best coaches in the NBA. If you guys had an average coach, how good do you think you would be? Um, An average coach, I think... I'd say 35 to 38 wins just because of how weird the roster is. If Spo wasn't as good of a defensive coach as he is, I don't think the floor of this team would be as high as it is. And kind of what separate, what kind of pushes Miami Wento up a little bit is when Spo starts to get creative offensively. Um, him deciding to kind of run the offense through Kelly Olenek at times is something that you saw a little bit of in Boston, but he really used um, Olenek last year and, Olenny had a career year because of it. Um, last year, um, James Johnson getting as much freedom as he did. Deion Waiters getting as much freedom as he had. Um, it kind of just showed them what kind of skill set they really had. Well, and I think it's telling Kelly Olenek was really the only guy who you looked at. Avery Bradley obviously dealt with injuries, but Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, um, those guys left Boston and kind of you saw – the impact of not having as great of a coach and Olenek went to Miami and there wasn't as big of a drop off. And I think you have to give Spo at least some credit for that. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Spo did a great job of utilizing Kelly O'Leary. It, it's just a shame that, um, again, the roster is just so cluttered, and there aren't a lot of great fits to form a lot of cohesive units on there. But O'Leary was arguably Miami's third or fourth best player last year. And that that signing was not met <laughs> with a lot of praise when it happened. Yeah, I'll be the first to admit I thought it was an overpay. Um, and he turned, I mean, he's turned out to be at least worth this contract at this time. You talk about clutter with the team, and I, I totally agree with you. What do you think is kind of the path to relevancy with this team at least? I mean, is the 6-5 seed they, that's not irrelevant, but, you know, I mean, real contention, I should say. Um, real contention from Miami. I think for Pat Riley, at least, he's banking on a star becoming available, either in free agency or through the trade market. And if he um, gets any inkling that a star is kind of available, he's going to push his chips in. Um, but other than that, if he can't find anything, it's going to boil down to one of the young guys popping. If Justice Winslow take the leap that at least the small corner of Heat Twitter believes that he can, um, that changes their ceiling. If Josh Richardson makes another leap as a creator, he's already one of the best defenders in the league. If he becomes an 18-5-5 and guy, you know, that, that pushes their ceiling up a little bit. If Bam Adebayo gets touches <laughs> in consistent minutes, then I think he has the chance to be one of the u- most unique bigs in the league just because of how many things he can do. Um, if Hassan Whiteside returns the form and kind of proves that he's worth his deal, that changes their ceiling a little bit. But um, I don't really see a path to serious contention right now, barring a superstar trade. But if the goal is to kind of seek out either free agent superstars or disgruntled free superstars, wouldn't the plan be to kind of keep cap flexibility rather than lock up with these kind of $19, $17 million contracts for Tyler Johnson and Deion Waiters? Absolutely. And I think that's the main criticism Pat Riley has gotten. I think in a vacuum, Kelly Olenek is a fine signing. Bringing back James Johnson is a fine signing. Betting on Deion Waiters with health incentives built into his contract is fine. It's just when you combine all all of those moves together and then you add in the fact that they're all four-year deals instead of one-plus-ones or just finding someone else on prove-it deals and saying, Spo, work your magic. It just kind of goes against everything Riley has stood for. When Riley has always been okay, I'm going to get the star, and if I don't have the star, then I'm going to stay flexible until I can get the star. And for him to kind of lock into a roster that is fine is kind of unlike Riley. Yeah, I. that's kind of the surprising thing to me. I would consider the moves that he's made very un-Riley-like. Do you think that it's somewhat of a Popovich situation where I think he could be retiring in the next couple of years and at least wants to have a fun team to watch or what do you think the reason for this kind of mediocre signings has been? Um, I think that's part of it. Um, I, there have been whispers about Riley getting ready to step away within the next couple of years. So I think that's at least part of it, but also Riley probably to a fault believes in these guys. He loves Hassan Whiteside a lot more than just about anyone in the heat organization (laughs) and the fan base for that. (laughs) He he really believes that Hassan can be a game changer at center. And to be fair, you know, Hassan can be that. We the question is, can he be that consistently? And that's yet to be proven at all. But um he does love James Johnson. 
Johnson. He loves Dion and the moxie that he has. So Riley genuinely believes in those guys. Now, when it comes to Spo, you don't really know how much he likes what he has to work with, especially Hassan, just because Spo wants to be positionless. He wants to play with a pace. He wants versatility on the floor at all times. And when you have a big man that doesn't screen consistently, doesn't really spread the floor, and he is best used in a drop coverage when, you know, Miami really came to power during the big three era when they were blitzing everything. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of like a conflict of um, interest there. Yeah, don't you think that Spo, if he had a little more say in the player control, would want a guy that it seems like all a lot of Miami's guys are good blitzing players. You know, they have a lot of depth and that blitzing would really benefit them, but Hassan kind of limits them on that front. Yeah, I think he would definitely have that, and I think that's why Miami's defense, though it didn't show in the numbers, it kind of mimicked what Spo wanted when Bam Adebayo was on the floor. When they would mix in traps, or at the very least, they would switch a lot and kind of keep the ball in front. And Miami has enough feisty guys to kind of bother ball handlers there. So even if you don't get the traditional turnovers being forced, you're forcing bad shots, and then that allows them to get in the transition. Yeah, exactly. Um, A guy we haven't talked about yet is Deion Waiters, which it's kind of hard to believe we haven't talked about him. I know he missed all last season, but he's, I mean, certainly one of the most interesting players on the team. What do you think you can expect from Deion Waiters this year, kind of in a bounce-back season? Um, It's really hard to gauge. Um, Before Deion finally went down in 16-17 and a little bit of this year, um, he showed improvement as a finisher, and that was kind of his big thing. The shooter, the shooting kind of came and went, but again, it was kind of like justice to where he has enough craft and he has an explosive enough first step to where he can get to his spots. It's just a matter of taking smart shots and converting at the rim. Um, the defense definitely tailed off. Um, part of at least part of that was because of the ankle; he couldn't move well at all laterally. But then there was just a lot of boneheaded plays that we had seen throughout the entirety of his career. I can't believe Dion would have bonehead plays. <laughs> that sounds like... Oh, right. There's no one like him. But, it's... um, yeah, he just wasn't that guy from 16-17, which, of course, sample size. Um, outside of, I think, the end of his second year in Cleveland, where he kind of um, showed out, looked like a potential all-star in the second half of that season, um, we hadn't really seen many consistent good stretches of Dion. So, in general... I think he can bounce back fine, but it's also going to depend on what his role is going to look like because there are so many guards that need minutes. So, I mean, it's it's just very congested. He's going to have to find a way to carve out a consistent role here. Is he a starter for this team next season, or will he be kind of a sixth man? Oh, I it, it's hard to tell. Like, I think it would make sense to start him just because him and Goran do play well together. But again, that kind of, I mean, that kind of throws things off with the rest of the rotation. You'll be starting Josh Richardson at the three again, which he was good at last year, but he's more of a natural two, I think. Um, that pushes Justice Winslow to the bench with Dwayne Wade. Which I think they worked well together, but the spacing is not ideal. And if you're looking at a a back of off a backcourt off the bench of Dwayne Wade and Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington and Justice Winslow, I mean, that's just that's pretty small. And that might not matter much in small dosages off the bench, but that still isn't necessarily ideal. And if that's four spots, you're looking at Kelly Olenek or Bam Adebayo as the five there. 
So, I mean, there, there's just a lot to figure out with the rotation. Right. Okay. If I said to you, you get to pick the, let's say, nine-man rotation, who would you play in kind of your starting five, and who would you be your first four guys off the bench? Uh, if, if I got to choose, I would probably go Gorn at the one, Josh Richardson at the two. Um, mm, it gets tough there. Probably Justice at the three. And you just have to pray that the shooting continues to develop. Um, James Johnson at the four and then Hassan at the five. Then off the bench, um, Tyler Johnson would have to be there. Um, Wayne Ellington would need to be there because of the shooting. And Bam and Kelly would kind of be my nine. Okay. And, and then, of course, that angers everyone that <laughs> remotely cares about Dwayne Wade. But <laughs> if you're looking at trying to optimize skill sets, you need Josh Justice and Bam playing as much as possible so you can see what you have in them as potential building blocks or, or as trade blocks. Well, and I guess that just shows the depth of the team that I said nine guys, and it's kind of difficult to squeeze guys out. You talk about Dwayne Wade not making it. Dion wasn't listed in those nine. and I mean, it's going to be hard for them to fit everybody even in a 10-man rotation, which is pretty much as deep as you can go. Right, and that leaves out a guy like Derrick Jones Jr., who was one of the best summer league players out there, and he's probably the only true small forward on the roster. I think Justice is more of a a backup one than he is an actual small forward. So, I mean, you would like to see – Derrick Jones Jr. is only 21. You would like to see him get some reps. But, I mean, it's just hard. There's so many players. Rodney Magruder, who, before he got hurt in preseason last year, was slated to start over Josh Richardson just because of how much he outplayed him during the summer. Right, I think... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, that was saying, that's just a testament to the depth and also just how desperately Miami needs to make a move to consolidate a little bit. Yeah, I asked you if you think they're going to make a move before the deadline. What do you think the chances are it's either it's before the season? Um, if I had to put a percentage out there, I would say maybe 25%. I mean, there have been, you know, Zach Lowe kind of mentioned that Miami and Houston have been talking. But even then, if you're swapping out Tyler Johnson for Ryan Anderson, that frees up a guard spot. But also, um, Ryan Anderson isn't as bad as he as he looked last year. You know, give him even re- – I mean, he was unhealthy by his standards. So if he's healthy, he's de- he's at least a serviceable rotation piece during the regular season. And he would instantly become Miami's second best shooter, if not their best shooter ahead of Wayne Ellington. So you would think Spo would like to utilize him to kind of keep some spacing on the floor. Yeah, I think he's a player that his flaws just make him too tough of a play for Houston. But I don't think he's by any means a guy that can't stay on the floor for average teams. Absolutely. And even when it comes to Houston, if Ryan Anderson is healthy, Ryan Anderson only becomes a liability against Golden State. I think against anyone else, you could reasonably play him 14 to 18 minutes or even 20 plus minutes. Yeah, it just gets it gets difficult with him switching kind of onto guards. If they're going to really commit to that switch, everything, it, it becomes a little difficult with him. But I mean, you don't have to. I guess you can try to at least keep him planted on the centers. Power forwards. Yeah, and you, I think you could do that against most good teams, even if it isn't necessarily ideal. He just becomes completely unplayable against Golden State, and I think that's the difference. If Houston's main goal is we have to beat Golden State, then Ryan Anderson is a lot less attractive to them than even another good team. 
Yeah, and if you're Houston at this point, basically every player has to be viewed through the prism of how good are they versus Golden State. Right. Um, kind of before, as we wrap up here, I just want to go through a quick. I'm going to give you two situations. You tell me which is higher. The amount sure. of Dion Waiter step back threes or Hassan Whiteside assist. I'm going to go with the Dion threes. I don't think we're going to be particularly close. <laughs> okay. How about the number of times that the national media mentions Tyler Johnson's contract or the number of times that they mention James Johnson as a black belt? Uh, I'm going to go with Tyler Johnson's contract. I think the James Johnson black belt thing is more of a social media thing. Okay. Yeah, because I every time you hear about James Johnson, you have to know that he's a black belt. Otherwise, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> okay, last one. How many Goran Dragic teeth lost or Kelly Olynyk's shoulders dislocated for opponents? Oh man, <laughs> I think it's going to be Goran. And can we also say that Goran will get less than three foul calls when he loses? Those yeah, yeah. I mean, you lose your teeth, you don't deserve a foul. So. <laughs> I, I just don't understand that dynamic. Between him and Tyler Johnson, they lose so many teams and they never get rewarded for it. Uh, all right, man. Thanks for talking to me. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on.